As uh, Sean comes up, I want to just give a, an introduction to our series that we're doing for Lent. It's called Passion. And uh, passion is, is something like an emotional feeling that you feel that you, it, it, like, you can't hardly prevent yourself from doing something about that emotion because you're so passionate about it. A few weeks ago, I, I preached on finding your passion or lean into your passion uh, from the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah, Nehemiah's heart was broken from the news that he heard back in Jerusalem, and it, he couldn't help but go back and organize the, um, the work to be done to build up the walls. Like, he was passionate about that. Um, uh, I've been uh, uh, rekindling a passion that I used to have a long time ago for pencil drawing. I know it sounds kind of weird, but like, I started drawing again, I don't know, around Christmas or I don't, I don't even remember. Just recently, I'm like, you know what? This would be a good pastime rather than scrolling Instagram for hours. Maybe I can put the phone down and actually create something. And I've become a little bit passionate about it and creating things uh, with graphite again. I haven't done it for years and years. It's something like it, that you are emotionally connected to, and it helps you make a connection to some other thing. Now, it can drive you crazy. Passion can be a negative thing that happens to you as well. Like you can do things out of passion uh, or like you become passionately angry um, and you can do things that aren't, aren't good. Um, but passion generally can be something that's very positive. But there's another passion as well. And this is the kind of passion we're going to be talking about from now till Easter through this season of Lent, and that's the passion of Jesus. How many of you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Okay, it details <laughs> graphically the suffering that Jesus endured um, in the last days of his life. We're going to be taking those steps through the book of Luke with Jesus. Now, this passion is like, is like that last week of Jesus' life. We're going to stretch it out over the next six weeks. And the first thing that we see in this is this idea that Sean's going to speak about. He's, he's coming. Uh, is this, uh, that Jesus eats with everybody, um, that his table is open for all. Um, and so uh, I, I ask that, uh, that we turn our hearts on for, for that, turn our ears on, turn our minds on, all of the things that we need to be ready and open to receive um, this message that uh, Sean has prepared for us. Let's pray for Sean right now. Gracious God, um, I don't know if this is the first time Sean's preached a full sermon. Is it, Sean? It's the first time. <laughs> it's the first time. So, God, we just ask now that you be with our brother, and you have prepared these words in advance. And now I ask that you help Sean to relax and get out of the way so that we can hear the words that you now have for us. Um, Lord, there's been plenty of prayer and preparation over these words, and now we just receive them because we've prepared ourselves to receive what it is you have for us today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I'm on, right? Okay. Yep. I got the thumbs up. Okay. 
first hurdle's over, right? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yes, uh, I have to admit, I uh, Thursday, Dave texted me after reading the final version of this sermon, and he, and he asked me, he said, how do you feel about it? And I, I said, I, I felt uh, good, better about this than the other uh, attempts I had. Uh, but then I woke up this morning, and I thought to myself, was Dave really asking me to reflect on everything that I'd written and rewrite everything? And, <laughs> and I was like, well, a little late for that now. So <clears throat> I appreciate the prayers. And uh, so uh, the first thing we'll, we'll do is, is read through the text um, uh, that uh, Dave gave me to uh, prepare this message. And this is from uh, Luke chapter 22, and it's verses 7 uh, through 23. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus has said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to, for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow waits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. May God bless the reading of his word. So I want to <clears throat> thank Dave for uh, giving me this um, topic of eating which is one of my favorite things to do, and eating together, which is my second favorite thing to do, uh, to uh, share with you this morning. Um, and today's passage uh, is the beginning of Luke's description uh, of the Lord's Supper. 
the last meal which Jesus shared with his disciples before his death and resurrection. In Jewish tradition, it was the Passover meal which kicked off the week-long feast of the unleavened bread. It was the time of the year when the nation of Israel commemorated not just their liberation from, Egypt, from the oppression of Egypt by the power of God, but also their redemption from death by the blood of a sacrificial lamb painted on the doorposts and lintels of their homes so that the angel of death, which God sent to punish the Egyptians, would pass over them. This event is recorded in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 30. So it was that Jesus sent Peter and John into Jerusalem to find a place uh, for all of the disciples to celebrate the Passover meal together that evening. And as they were sitting down to partake of the meal, in verse 15, Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now this is the verse out of that whole passage that stuck in my head the whole time I was uh, trying to come up with a message that would be meaningful for you all. And praying about it, meditating on this passage, I asked myself, you know, uh, why? Uh, why would Jesus be so eager to have this meal with his disciples? Uh, in fact, the Greek word that's used here uh, has the sense of longing for something that has been forbidden. Uh, in the King James, uh, God, he uses, that's uh, translated desire twice. So I ask again, why is Jesus looking forward to this meal with such longing? From the preceding verses, we can see that Jesus is already aware of every detail regarding this Passover meal. His instructions to Peter and John were exact and unerring down to the smallest detail of time and place. We also know from John 13:1 that Jesus knew that his death was fast approaching. We know from John chapter 6 and verse 70 that he knew that one of his disciples would betray him to the religious leaders, and he probably knew at that point that it was Judas Iscariot. Later during the meal, we find out that Jesus know, knew that not only would all of his disciples abandon him during his suffering, but that Peter will actually deny him three times. That's recounted in every one of the four Gospels. Knowing all that, again I ask, why was Jesus looking forward to this meal with such desire? Today, I'd like you to consider with me these three reasons. Community, humanity, and charity. First, community. We worship the triune God. That is, God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. The holiness of God is bound up in this Trinitarian concept of existence that is beyond our understanding. Yet one aspect of the Trinity is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in constant and continuous fellowship since before the beginning of time. 
We were, we were created to join this fellowship, to belong to the community of God. That is the reason we all have such a deep longing to belong, whether it's family, our city, our state, our country, whether it's being a Bengals or a Steelers fan, whether it's being a Swifty or a member of Army, we long to belong. Jesus, our Creator, who loves us most and knows us best, knows this about us. Jesus came to satisfy this deep desire of our hearts to be in community by restoring our fellowship with God. He knows that our spirits need to be regenerated by fellowship with our Creator as much as our bodies need to be refueled with food. Whenever we see Jesus eating in the Bible, he is eating with someone. At the wedding in Cana, uh, at Levi and Matthew's, or Levi and Zacchaeus' house, at the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, with Pharisees and crowds of thousands, Jesus is always sitting down together with others to eat. Throughout history, common meals have been the thread that knits together the fabric of every community. There is no more powerful tool for creating and maintaining relationships than sitting down together to eat. Which brings me to the second reason, humanity. Eating is something that we all do as human beings. Some of us might enjoy it more than others. I'm, I'm one of those. Uh, but we all must eat. Eating meals together lays the groundwork for building relationships that allow us to support and encourage and challenge one another as we gather around the table to share in this common activity. What better way to establish common ground with someone than gathering around a common table to eat? Sharing a meal is a bridge to sharing ideas. Does that mean we will always agree with all that is shared by everyone at a meal? I hope not. It is diversity that teaches, about, teaches us about grace. Challenge yourself to go through the Gospels and read the accounts of the meals Jesus shares with, his, with people. Carefully consider how he uses these gatherings to encourage and support people while at the same time challenging their current way of thinking. Most importantly, sharing meals with people should reassure us of Jesus' humanity. For it is his humanity as much as his divinity that gives us the hope for eternal life. One of my favorite quotes is from Miller J. Erickson's book, Christian Theology. In pondering the humanity of Jesus, he writes, the question we should be asking is not was Jesus as human as us? Rather, we should be asking, are we as human as Jesus? And lastly, we have charity, which I use that word in the older sense, meaning love, just because it went together with community, humanity, charity. You, you get that? All right. So. <laughs> uh, but the fact is, Jesus loves people. He had dinner with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus because he loved them. 
he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house to eat because he loved him. Jesus accepted invitations to eat at the homes of Pharisees and religious leaders who treated him with disdain and disrespect because he loved them. He shared this last meal with, G with Judas, who he knew was going to betray him because he loved him. Jesus chooses to eat with sinners like us because he loves us. We, humanity, were created by him, through him, and for him, and he desires to be with us. He did not come in spite of our humanity. He came because of it. And today, as we share in the Lord's table, we will be joining in a tradition of the church that connects our community to other communities of believers across the world and across time, stretching back to this very moment in the life of Jesus that we read about in Luke at the beginning of this message. People from different times, different countries, different cultures share this table with us in the kingdom of God, which is already, but not yet. Yes, we're all sitting at the same table with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to ask him to do something about the wine shortage at the wedding in Cana, Jesus replied, it's not my time. He wasn't refusing his perplexed mother. No, in his mind's eye, he was gazing into another reality, just as real, but not yet, to see another wedding where you and I and all who follow him are the bride and where community and humanity are perfected in charity. How then do we take this sacrament of the church, which we'll join in today, out into the world around us? That's easy. Invite someone to dinner. Start here with people you know, or better yet, people you don't know. Invite your neighbors to dinner. Maybe you have family you only see once a year at the holidays. Invite them to dinner. And after you've done that, don't stop. Cast your net wider. Go outside of your comfort zone. Read Luke 14, verse 7 through 24. There are people in our neighborhoods or at work who may not know anything about Christianity. Or they may think that going to church means never having fun again, ever. Or they may think that religious people are the source of all the hate and divisiveness that exists in the world today. Invite them to dinner. Be intentional about finding ways to sit down and eat with the people that we as a society have marginalized. Right here in Newark, there are places like the Haven and Lookup Center that serve dinner to the poor, the homeless, and the addicted. Volunteer to provide a meal and sit and eat with the people after you've done that. Now, trust me, as an introvert and someone who has struggled to feel comfortable in social settings, including church, 
all my life, I know this is hard. But my weakness can't be an excuse when it is the very place where God's power shows through the most. And Jesus literally commands it in, that, in Luke chapter 14. The truth is that we who follow Christ are not a monolithic group of people marching in lockstep towards the end of time. The diversity of church that Dave talked about three Sundays ago and the weakness that is our strength that Reggie spoke of two Sundays ago are the very things that God has provided to allow us to build relationships with those who have not yet experienced the love of God in Christ. I'll end with this quote uh, from Learning Evangelism from Jesus, a book written by Jerome Bars. We are to imitate Jesus by being intentional about developing intimate fellowship with sinners. This means that we are to make the effort to build such close relationships with unbelievers, regardless of their beliefs and ways of life, that we delight to eat and drink at one another's table and visit joyfully at one another's homes. This means that we are going to get to know people who are considered by some of our churches to be sinners. Why should we welcome sinners and unbelievers joyfully? Every day of our lives, Jesus welcomes each of us in our rebellion, our moral failures, our lack of love, and our reluctance to honor him. And even though we have cold hearts, every day he asks us to welcome him into our lives and into our homes. How poorly we understand the gospel and the grace of God to us when we think we ought not to have sinners in our homes. Fellowship with sinners is the gospel. There is no other gospel of Christ. Now, you might be sitting out there today and you haven't accepted the invitation to dinner that Jesus extends to everyone. And if you haven't, I'd like you to pray with me now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. Lord, help me to believe and trust in you. Lord, I ask you into my heart and into my life. Help me to be and grow more like you. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. I'm going to... Um...